Hello, this is Tucker. Host of Pillows on the Windows. Carly and I can't come to the phone right now but Michael and Christian are here to fill in for us until we return from grabbing a case of Lucky Strikes from the corner store. Unfortunately, neither one of these chuckleheads introduced themselves or the show. This is Pillows on the Windows, a podcast about film. Thank you for listening, and get ready for a face full of Marvel talk right out the gate. Michael, you've watched Shang-Chi. Is Marvel back and better than ever? <laughs> um, oh, I don't even know. It's crazy to me. So the thing that Shang-Chi kind of outlined, like underlined for me, is that this big series gets all these great cast members. And in Shang-Chi's case, I'm thinking particularly Tony Lung. But um, Absolutely. it's just like there are these like these are like a tier of tour kind of Ooh, yes. uh, uh, actors and stuff. And they just kind of throw them into the same cookie cutter narrative, like the same kind of origin stories with the same sort of build up to the same sort of like big CGI battle at the end. Sure. And I don't know, like I even liked Shang-Chi, but I left kind of feeling sort of deflated about the whole this whole mcu experiment you know really why is that is that because the buck the buck kind of stopped with endgame and now it's like expecting that something would change after that i feel like the buck kind of stopped i don't know i felt like endgame kind of wrapped things up in a way that was good but even then i feel like some of the signs of fatigue were yeah before that there Yeah, like did you did you end up seeing Captain Marvel at all before then? Or? No, never have I ever. Okay, was it set so in there? Another, well, it's just one of those movies that it feels like we're 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 getting into this this formula thing where mm-hmm. where every you have all these huge like multi million dollar blockbusters and stuff, and there's nothing honestly. I don't think there's anything wrong with like blockbuster films and stuff like that, but it just seems like they exist solely to set up another sort of film and it's just a weird it's starting to feel kind of well it isn't starting it has been feeling sort of grody and even with like something like shang chi or um some of these these straight to straight to streaming shows it feels like we're we're i don't know it just it it feels bad yep you know how much does the greater mcu bleed into shang chi because I assume like 25% of the audience is showing up and watching it for that part of it. I think the audience is just, I I honestly don't think the, I think it's more of more than that. Yeah. Not a whole lot though. Um, Interesting. I think the 10 rings were referenced at some point in the MCU at some Mm. other way, some kind of fake 10 rings. I think it was an Iron Man three thing, which that, that comes up and that's a weird throwback to a movie. No one really cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, I I don't know. I think at this point, these movies kind of ride or die on the cast and sort of the chemistry the cast has. And I think Shang-Chi at least had, had some okay chemistry between its cast members. And I think you still, for like the 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 big name actors they get on the bill, like in, yeah. in Shang-Chi's case, it was someone like Tony Lung from all those Wong Kar Wai movies and such. Or you've got... Uh, who else was there? There, I'm forgetting some names. 
Uh, Michelle Yeoh was there. Um, it really kind of rides on their shoulders. And I think that worked for Shang-Chi, but I don't think it's like... I don't think you can consistently make a keep a franchise interesting working off of off of that sort of yeah. structure, you know? It's so hard, Michael, when you had Endgame where you have multiple multi-millionaire, if not hundreds of millions, going into these actors for yeah. this this singular movie. It's it's tough. But it's good to it hear is. that you can still get charismatic actors in there without shelling out a hundred million just to get one to show up on set for a few days. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was I thought was interesting about Endgame was that it sort of felt like a, a moment, you know? Yeah. And I like regardless of, of my opinions of, of the MCU as like this this larger franchise experiment, it felt like this was a, a, a like sort of a, a crystallized pop culture moment. In a lot of ways, it was kind of cool in that way. Yeah. And it did feel like it sort of mostly navigated the the. I, I imagine there would be this tension in making a movie like that where you have to try mm. to navigate like what, 20, 30 different <laughs> characters that have been pre-established and stuff and trying to make it meaningful. Totally. And I think it, it actually did a pretty okay job with that. Yeah. I, I don't know if they could repeat that and it still be as, you know, still feel as worthwhile. And mm-hmm. I, I think at this point they are sort of showing signs of, of that kind of fatigue. I don't know. Yep. I don't know. Well, with that phase of MCU, Michael, it seemed like Marvel was largely leaning on the Russo brothers to bail them out whenever they needed it. <laughs> oh, so yeah. with the next phase of MCU, Michael, who would be the director or directors you would like to see Marvel have bailed them out this time? Take away, TD. Really? Yes. I liked, I liked Ragnarok. I thought Ragnarok was at least fun. Because it's the same formula, but yeah, you know, at the end of the day, these are goofy comic book characters that like you smash together in a sandbox and stuff, mm-hmm. and and it just, I guess, kind of having fun with it would be would be good to n- not so much in like a, you know, in like this 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 way where every single character moment has to be met with a, a, a some kind of like punchline. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't, but I don't think that's sort of what Taika, uh, what he really does with, with them. Sure. And I'm basing this off of like, he recently co-produced a show on Hulu uh, or an <laughs> FX show, Reservation Dogs. And oh, he also, yes. with like, uh, what is the name of it? The the one, Scarlett Johansson was in it, the Jojo Rabbit. Yes, of course. I think they handle these like deep, heavier character moments well without having to like sink into a, a just like a quip. Sure, sure. So I think you'd still get that levity without having to be like, without having it come at the expense of your characters, I guess. Totally. You'll get some more Taika in the next Thor movie. No, oh, that's, you know, and honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I feel like he kind of knows how to handle these these sort of big established franchises in a way that can still feel kind of unique, which uh, um, which I think is good. Yes. And I guess, honestly, that's the thing I sort of am excited about in general with this this sort of experiment going forward is that uh, I it seems like they're giving, you know, filmmaking roles to 
you know, different kinds of directors, people who aren't just in, aren't just sort of railroaded through the, the, the like blockbuster kind of route. It's more like, mm-hmm. you know, with Taika, it's a, it's a, it's a comedian with Chloe Zhao. It's, it's these more ambient like films, which it sounds like it doesn't work, but I at least kind of appreciate them trying, I guess. Totally. And if, if, if at the end of the day, all this does is, is, cash a big enough check so someone like chloe zhao can run on to do the next next big movie about how the west is pretty and people are sad then great <laughs> cool <laughs> i'm okay with that i guess at the end of, of of the day but beautiful i don't know what's your what's your take christian what are you thinking i have no idea michael i'm a passive observer and i just watch these people who make independent movies eventually get sucked up by the greater system and yeah. get thrown hundreds of millions of dollars in budget and then go crazy with it. And sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it doesn't. Speaking of, like, Michael. Oh, okay. I was going to ask what your favorite example of that was, but it sounds like we we're going to go someplace else with this. What What's you, my favorite what you... example? Well, it might just be Malignant, directed by James Wan <laughs> of Saw fame. Uh, but I feel like he's been sort of on that, like big he has been for a long time nonsense yeah. train for a while he absolutely has he's been in the fast furious he's been in aquaman he's yeah. he's dipped his toes in the honey pots at this point michael yeah i mean the conjuring series alone yeah oh absolutely. brings in bank for what are honestly just a bunch of really cheaply made movies and um it's interesting in that malignant feels like so many of these things kind of brought together in different ways <laughs> It's crazy. I just Be- I I don't know how this movie was made, Michael. What's the pitch? Yeah. What's how does um, someone how does James Wan go to someone and be like, "Hey, I want 40 million dollars to make this. Here's what it is." I, I think he just says, "Look, I made Aquaman." <laughs> like, honestly, you can just walk into a room at at this point, I think they would give James Wan kind of free reign because he's proven he can bring yeah. in money to the studios with kind of crazy ideas like saw was a hit yeah <laughs> the, the the uh the con you've got the conjuring series you've got insidious you've got um and i think those are all important because they're low budget movies that made a lot of money and totally. then once he went up to the he's he dip he he's got probably one of the the more successful dc universe movies behind him mm-hmm. he's got mm-hmm. uh he he helmed a fast and furious movie like at this point he can probably just do whatever he wants and yeah he sure did that and um so what you what you think of malignant it is a fascinating piece of art michael it's yeah um how did you at any point sort of know where it was going yes yeah i okay. pretty much knew where it was going okay. but i was along for the ride michael I was ready yeah. for it. I wanted okay, to see where James Wan was going to take me. But yeah. I was also kind of privy to the conversation, the greater conversation of Malignant going in. So I definitely was far more informed than the average viewer going into watching Malignant. Were you, Michael? Were you oblivious? Um, Kind of. I mean, because yes. all the advertising for it made it look a little like a, another Conjuring it absolutely did. movie. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And then um, all of the um, scuttlebutt I heard after was like, uh, this movie is bonkers. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this is not well, I mean, because I started reading like, 
critics and stuff saying that this is you, James Wan's really pulling more from the Fast and Furious series <laughs> than than The Conjuring, and I didn't know what to make of that. Totally. But uh, yeah, that DNA is there. Um, is it really? Kind of. Well, I mean, that whole the way that I don't want to jump straight to sort of the 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 pivot point in the movie yeah but the way all of that that action stuff is shot is very much filmed like a a, a fast and furious <laughs> movie just the only difference is it's like some kind of weird parasitic uh twin consciousness thing that crab walks and yes um dresses like an assassin's creed character it was uh <laughs> um yeah i think that's that you could very easily make the argument that he's this that's sort of this we're, we're pulling from like the way we film fast and furious movies oh. for this kind of stuff. Um, but before we get to that, yeah. um, I'm just kind of curious what you thought of like the first half. I feel like there's this like immediately going in, it sort of signals that this is going to be kind of a, a, a for lack of a better term, a dumb movie because you've got the whole cliffside insane asylum going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but do. uh but after that, I'm curious how you felt felt about the like the first half of this movie when it seems more like a haunting kind of film yeah. than instead of a uh what really becomes an action movie. Well the intro is bizarre because I had like whiplash in the first 30 minutes because you've got intro where it's hospital scene and you've got this weird um uh like fetus thing freaking out and then this lady in the hospital doing action catchphrase before blowing it away with a shotgun or something or like a sleep dart and i was like what is this the the acting seemed like self-aware in a weird way that didn't scare me at all (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was being I thought they were purposefully hamming it up. And then we like cut to our lead. Who is what's the lead actress's name? Is it Oh, I don't know. Let is me... it Maddie Hassan? I think that's her name. Hassan? Hassan? I Maddie? will check this because it's someone who's not as I don't think is as well no. established, right? I don't think so either. No. Annabelle, Annabelle Wallace. Wallace. Yes. yes. I thought she was surprised. Like she was playing things surprisingly straight. Yeah. And I was very like that, that dichotomy right at the beginning, just like threw me because I was like, what kind of movie is this? Cause from then on, it's like more like your stereotypical kind of, I'm in this weird, creepy house and stuff is happening movie for like yeah. 50 minutes after that. Yeah. And that's, and it's weird because it also starts dealing with some, I think, very serious sort of character drama. Mm-hmm. I mean, it establishes like almost immediately she's the victim of abuse. Oh, yeah. She gets like, her head an slammed abusive into relationship. the wall right away. Yeah. <laughs> Which feels like a weird plot device, especially considering where this movie ends up going. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the more I think about that, it kind of puts me off. Yeah, but, totally. Um. The the sort of like first half of this where it is a, a haunted house kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't care for that as much because at this point, you know, at this point, it's a conjuring movie, I guess. And, and that's been so played out as like a, a style where, you know, you kind of build up some kind of neat atmosphere 
thrown a few jump scares and kind of call it a day, but with the occasional like neat visual twist, like there's some top down, you know, rat maze kind of stuff going on with, uh, Mm -hmm. with uh, malignant that I thought was really cool, but it wasn't enough to sort of get me invested in, you know, the characters dealing with this, like this ghosty. Yeah. Um, that cinematography does seem to be where most of the money probably went because this thing's forty yeah. million dollars, and horror movies are usually made for like a dime. Yeah. If you look at Blumhouse's crap that they're churning out, yeah, I don't know yeah. where else the uh, budget would have went except for like the like, ten minutes of footage where the hallucinations or whatever are happening, where the yeah. environment dissolves around her. I imagine it took quite a bit to probably pull off the sort of the choreography and stuff Ooh, with that, totally. that one part as well. Yep. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, there was. What, so when was when do you think you were sort of were you at any point sort of hooked into this movie? And what when Ooh, was that good question? I think probably the first like chase sequence with the uh malignant thing with the yeah. hair and that thing's just like scaling the building it's just jumping down the building i'm like oh my gosh yeah. i am in this yes please or the- there's the trophy sharpening the trophy sharpening because the malignant thing the evil thing grabs the trophy that the um the operator lady has for being good at operating on people or something and then yeah. sharpens it and then uses it as a weapon for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Phenomenal. Yeah. It's uh, I think for me, it was also probably that first chase scene too. Yeah. Cause then it just kind of, that was sort of when it made sense to me when people were comparing this to uh, fast and furious. Yes. Saying that this is, this is James Wan doing some fast and furious stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it just becomes like a weird parkour chase with a ghost monster or something. And you've got the rookie cop who's like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get the impression he was a rookie cop, but he was kind of yeah, written like one. Mm-hmm. And it's just this really weird scene for what up until that point had been like, um, just sort of things going bump in the night and then killing a couple people, you know? Mm-hmm. It's whatever, but, um, and then that kind of comes back again in like a crazy, big, stupid way. And I don't know the, uh, I've gone back to watch the second half of this movie twice now because it's just such a weird thing. It certainly is. (laughs) Um, you know, when she's in the prison cell and starts ripping at the back of her yes. skull and a face comes out <laughs> and it just, and then oh, so I, I guess, okay, spoiler, this is, I guess, it, I don't know if, if, I don't know what the rules with spoiler warnings are, but this feels like a huge spoiler warning. Um, Do it, Michael. But yeah. Okay. So spoiler alert, we're going to be talking spoilers about Malignant from this point on. Um he rips open the back of her skull and the face appears it does <laughs> and then it just becomes this insanely violent like mm-hmm. sequence of events where she kills i think like 20 people it's ridiculous or so 
uh and it's filmed in a way that's almost comedic but yep. also just very like very visceral mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. and, like when she's ripping open the back of her head there's so many spit takes of like other people being like oh my god <laughs> yeah uh phenomenal amazing fantastic it, and then you've got that uh and once she finally breaks out there's the huge fight scene with the sort of in the precinct's office mm-hmm. and, oh, um, it's just this crazy crazy kinetic fight sequence like backflips and stuff are happening there are long takes yeah um like it very much filmed like an actual action movie and stuff and it it feels like that except the only difference is it's this weird crab walking monster doing everything <laughs> and it also feels like it's supposed to be comedic in a lot of ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you've got this, especially the towards the end of that where she throws a chair across the room. <laughs> she does and knocks out one of the one of the two detectives. We're supposed to like we've been kind of following through this. Yep. Um, just it it it's such a weird tone shift. It's especially is. kind of coming into this from a. Like, it, it sort of feels like we should have, been, like, like okay, expect things to be kind of bonkers and campy in a way, because we've got the whole hill, the whole cliffside yes, uh, sanitarium hospital. and yes. stuff. But um, it just feels weird to go from, like, the story of an abused woman to suddenly this very goofy sequence. It's, it is, it's like whiplash in a way. I, I think that's a great way to sort of describe it. Um Absolutely. I, I noticed but, that in a lot of video games I play too, where it like in a vacuum, if you, if I just went on YouTube and just watched that mm-hmm. clip, I would be like, whoa, that's insane. But when I watch an hour and 10 minutes of a movie, that's for the most part, pretty straight laced up until that point, And then see that the reaction that I feel is significantly different. Mm-hmm. In a very cathartic and very entertaining way so that I was just, I had a big old smile on my face for like the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Do you think it would have landed the same way though if we didn't have about, you know, like an hour of a more, uh, you know, this kind of blend of like, of like horror movie drama and crime drama and stuff sort of leading up to this point where yeah. things were sort of played kind of straight laced. Mm-hmm. Or as as straightly as these movies typically are. Yeah, for me it wouldn't have. What about you, Michael? I was thinking about, it and I don't think it would have either. I mean, if I went into this movie sort of expecting Fast and the Furious shenanigans, I would have been primed for that kind of thing. It wouldn't have yeah. been as shocking, and sort of I think the 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 surprise kind of helped it be more mm-hmm. helped to be uh, make it like a nicer. Sort of the shock was part of the fun, I guess. Yeah. Kind of like a roller coaster drop Absolutely. in a way. And, um, which isn't to say anything about the actual quality of that sequence, because I think it's all really well done to the, <laughs> especially the fight within the, the, the police station itself. Mm-hmm. It's so much of that is actually just like a genuinely well put together action <laughs> sequence. Don't but, know. um, I don't think it would have been as effective to just kind of run straight into these moments. Mm-hmm. I think it's more fun having these kinds of tone shifts, but also that's sort of where I get this sort of weird 
internal friction about this movie because it's very weird to go from you know uh what seems like it's supposed to be dealing with a woman's tr- like a, a story sort of dealing with a woman's trauma and stuff yeah and from there to just James a murder action movie yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it, it's, it's some go ahead oh yeah it's just some weird kind of dissonance and i don't know if it's even yeah good to do that it feels like we're it it does feel as though horror movies lean a lot on traumatizing women and i don't totally and it's starting to bother me a little more the more i i see it but at the same time um and i i think that should be held against malignant but at the same time i kind of love the the sort of jarring tone shifts the uh reveal of the parasitic monster <laughs> when it was still young was also so good uh just like an amazing bit of body horror yeah because <laughs> it's just got like these little t-rex arms it and it's does like, it's so good it's, it's so weird and yeah. fun and, <laughs> and goofy and yeah but like you're saying at the same time i never felt like this movie came together to a cohesive whole there yeah. was like there's a revelation towards the end you know what the monster actually is who's killing all these people but I didn't feel like the seeds that they planted were significant enough or they didn't gel well enough together where they pointed towards that revelation to where like the first kill we see is the um, main lady's husband and Mm -hmm. the main lady sees a thing kill her husband. Oh no, she doesn't see it kill her husband. She sees it after the fact and she thinks it's chasing her. And in the grand scheme of the movie, that doesn't really make sense because the bad guy is her. She's the bad guy, but she's seeing it chase her. But that I assume is just in her brain and what the thing wants her to think, what her conjoined twin wants her to think. And then you get a little wishy-washy there where they, yeah. I felt like they could have brought it all around and brought it all together in a way that would have fit better given the revelation that we eventually come to. You know, you want to watch, you want to sit down with the family, watch Malignant again next Halloween and be like, oh, I see you guys planting that seed there. But yeah. I don't know if they quite did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's like some moments where it points towards, you know, maybe it is her doing all of this, but it's. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, and I think they do sort of explain it away as like, a, oh, the I, I don't remember the name of the freaking monster in her head. I don't either, but it's it's funny, whatever it is. Uh, it is here. I'm going to look it up because I've got this open right now. Yes. But um, Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's Gabriel. Um, <clears throat> the thing that kind of threw me off, too, is as far as like resolutions go, it's such a neat and tidy like she just has the the brain power now to brain blast Gabriel into a, a <laughs> mental jail cell, <laughs> yep. which is very insidious esque yep. and also really stupid. Yeah, who gets charged and for just, those fifty murders, Michael? I know it's <laughs> like it feels like such an like a convenient and also kind of dumb way to resolve the plot. Totally. Um, and also definitely sets up I, I think we're we're I wonder whether or not this sort of becomes the next uh sort of the next saw or the next uh Ooh. um the next conjuring. Like are we going to be getting a, a malignant two or something like that? Dude. Um, 
and I don't know if he, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know if James Wan could pull it off again to, with the same sort of yeah. impact because at this point people would be going in sort of wanting the, the nutso second half of the first movie rather than the complete package. Yeah. So I don't know how you recapture it, Michael, other than just making an Annabelle creation and shipping it off to some other director and them trying to do their best. Yeah. And while well, you're, you're getting them nice producer checks. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You you mentioned uh, Nice Pretty Bow. That's another thing that I thought was um, weird, where <clears throat> some of this movie is like procedural crime happenings yeah. <laughs> for some reason. Like you'll have brief breaks where they show up to the scene of a murder and be like, hmm, who did this? And they'll be like, hmm, I think it was X, Y, or Z that happened here. And then... You know, ultimately, we cut to this lady who has a crazy, fantastical conjoined twin who they call Satan or some who she calls Satan or the devil controlling her to murder all these people like procedural crime drama and evil twin who's Satan don't exactly mesh well at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> they can um, because a similar thing sort of. Another James Wan movie, actually. I think <gasps> a James Wan movie. I forget if he directed it or not. What but, movie? Um, the Conjuring 3 was basically that as well. Really? Sort of. It was this... It, it, it sort of leaned, I think, into the same territory in that it was... Uh, uh, it was not directed by... Okay, it was not directed by James Wan. It was written by James Wan. But it sort of leaned into this, like blend of supernatural happenings and and procedural crime drama <laughs> and there no. it actually i think worked better fascinating um it meshed in a way that that at least felt cohesive yes because basically the 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 concept is there's this murder the guy who does it says he was possessed um Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are these real life ghost hunters that are portrayed in these, uh, in the conjuring series, yes. um, try to prove that the devil made him do it. And, uh, it's just this really goofy, like they do stuff that detectives would do, but it always has this angle of like, like ghosties or possession or seances <laughs> and stuff. And they're looking for evidence of the haunting and, Ooh. but it just works out as like a detective, a really kind of corny B movie style detective movie, but a detective movie. Interesting. And it was actually, I actually kind of really enjoyed it too, for what that is worth. What? Um, Michael, yeah. like the Conjuring movie? That was a sequel? Like, like no, cause I, I like ghost stories in general, but I was kind of, I, I never really got into the Conjuring series as a whole because it's also, it all plays by this sort of same structure and formula and, and basically is just like a, a you know, there's a haunted house. There's yeah. some cool atmosphere stuff happening, but leans a little into jump scares and sure. And by the end, there's some kind of intervention by mm -hmm. uh, Ghostbusters who mm -hmm. do a seance or an exorcism or something. And then they tie it up with a neat bow. And, and oh. that's the end. Um, you like and, ghost shows at all, Michael? You got a favorite ghost show? 
I do watch ghost shows. Liking is a strong word. <laughs> yeah. I think they're fun. I just think it's kind of like this this fun thing where um because I'm not necessarily the kind of person who who really believes in, in the things they're talking about, but it's really fun the way they sort of frame this in some kind of holy battle between good and evil. And, yes. and they're making up weird pseudoscience things to to explain away. I don't know. They have like boxes and they're like talking they to do. ghosts and they they get these weird like one note things that are like, oh, my God, it's a laughter. Oh, my God, it said kill. And it's just really corny and fun. Absolutely. Like, like it's really entertaining. I don't know. And, but as far as like the, the conjuring series goes with that stuff, it's really drawing it out the way they do makes it a little more boring. The way it's sort of handled is really boring. So when they took that and made it into a procedural crime drama, mm-hmm. I actually thought it was sort of novel in a way. And I had a lot more fun with it. Oh, and it just made it more made for a more coherent movie. So, dude, I don't know. I'll have to put the Conjuring three on the old watch list. It's 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 not high art. No, don't like <laughs> don't like go into this thinking it'll change your world. But like, I I enjoyed it more than the Conjuring one and two. So, oh wow, or like anything else in that series. Dang. So, dude, with how much they've desecrated the Conjuring sacred name, yeah. if you get something better than halfway decent out of it. I'd consider it worth yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Do you do you dabble at all in horror movies, Chris? Very little, Michael. I'm not good with horror movies. I'm not good okay. with them. Okay. Are you good with them? What's the way? What's the what's the way to the get used to them? Uh shock I, therapy. Shock therapy. Honestly, kind of shock therapy. Like I was not I hated horror movies as a kid. I I couldn't watch them. I I or at least I thought I couldn't watch them. I hated them as a concept. Um, and then I sat down and had to watch one one day that was like, a I don't know. I forget what the concept was. There was like a day that it was like a remake of a Korean movie. Um, it was like, in a way it was kind of prestige horror ish where like, it wasn't actually a ghost, but it was sort of a, a metaphor for trauma about this main character's sister or something. Of and course. I, it wasn't scary and it was also really dumb. Oh. So at that point I kind of opened the door to it. And then there was a night where I sat down and just with a couple of friends and just watched a bunch of movies that were supposedly really scary. Really? Kind of. They weren't really like it was the first paranormal activity and then the strangers and the first paranormal activity I actually thought was pretty good because it was able to sort of, it didn't show its hands immediately. I thought it sort of built up on things and I liked that a lot. Um, obviously once you do that once you can't do it again so the franchise as a whole sort of fell apart yeah. <laughs> for the, from there for me um, but like that first movie worked and I liked it and I was actually kind of frightened by it and I think at that point it was like okay I can take these movies and also most of them are really bad and <laughs> after that I was kind of okay with it all um, also very rarely are they actually scary Ooh. there's like one or two that I think can still kind of like unnerve me, but otherwise they're mostly just really dumb. Really? Which is sort of what's nice about them. Like there's just like a, a sort of pastiche to them. That's kind of fun. A sort of like, like a, a, just a sort of expectation with horror movies. It's kind of fun, you know? Sure. 
Sure, I'd buy it. Like, or I guess like a, a sort of, like you're not going in off, usually you're not going in expecting to be like, like you're just kind of going and expecting to deal with a bunch of genre tropes and mm-hmm. stuff. And in that way, it can be kind of fun the same way, like watching old film noir movies can be kind of fun and, oh. and stuff and the way they sort of handle the same, the same like visual language can be sort of enjoyable, I guess. So that's sweet of you, Michael, a nice eulogy to the horror genre. Hmm. I try. Well, hey, I don't know. you mentioned prestige horror. Speaking of prestige, would you say Ridley Scott still has some prestige left? Uh, this was a nice transition. I think, actually, yes. I do. Really? Um, and I do. Are you a man who's seen Alien Covenant? I have not seen Alien Covenant yet. You're getting that there, though. L- literally the next movie on the list. Um, <laughs> because... Uh, yes, yes. There's going to be another episode of this podcast somewhere where Tucker, Carly, and I talk about the Alien series and try to rank the Alien series. I'm excited. And Covenant is last on that list, and it is very bizarre to me that Ridley Scott is playing with the Alien franchise again. But um, <laughs> That's so bizarre. I, I Mentally, I guess, uh, as an outsider, it seems like Ridley Scott seems to have an early career and a later career, and those don't necessarily seem to be... Um, consistent with each other. I don't think he's just, just in general, I don't think he has a consistent career. Yeah. Because there's also that like between, you know, his early years where stuff like aliens Mm -hmm. coming out Mm -hmm. and now where alien covenants coming out. No. Um, but also stuff like the last duel comes out and, and this, this other big drama about was the Gucci family or, or something. The, what is what's his next movie? He had two movies come out this year: The Last Duel, did he really? Which we watched, and we were going to talk about, but also he had another movie, the House this of year? Gucci. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. He's at I guess November twenty fourth. You'll be releasing the House of Gucci, which is about the murder of the head of the Gucci fashion house. Um, wild. Lady Gaga's in it, <laughs> of course, and Adam Driver. <laughs> um but this this is uh um uh, I think he's just got this like this larger inconsistent career. I don't think it's as as wild as like a like a Christopher Nolan or something like that where it's just yeah. Or he kind of is actually looking at his filmography now. Yeah. But um like even during his mid years though he's putting out something like Gladiator mm-hmm. or like Black Hawk mm-hmm. Down yeah which are still these very like I think well regarded movies for what they are like yes. in the nineties he's got Thelma and Louise in the eighties he's obviously got Blade Runner so of course yeah I don't know it's it's he's got a weird career with a lot of peaks and valleys like there's a Robin Hood movie in there <laughs> goofy. <laughs> Um, Exodus Gods and Kings <laughs> is there too. So Mike is is Ridley Scott is he a mastermind filmmaker or is he a hack fraud who falls <laughs> into success every now and then? I don't think he's a hack fraud because I think even his like less like his less less impressive movies still have these like sort of these these notes of someone who knows what they're doing he, they're just making a, a subpar film <laughs> sure yeah you know yeah 
like even something like I think Robin Hood looks fantastic. It does capture a certain sense of drama that I'm not sure other directors could do with the same material. And we know this because there's like a, a new Robin Hood movie every 10 years. But <laughs> holy um, crap, that 2010 Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie was him? <laughs> yeah, that's Ridley Scott, which is crazy. What the world? Because because I feel like with, with someone like Ridley, you've got these moments that are like you could jokingly call prestige film or something, sure. you know, these, these things that are aimed more towards, I think critics than they are towards like general audiences. Cause I don't think something like the last duel exists to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. But then again, something like Robin hood is right there and it's just sort of this run of the mill blockbuster movie mm-hmm. starring uh run of the mill. Well, not run of the mill. I like Russell Crowe, but like a, a, a blockbuster actor doing, blockbuster plot stuff yeah right yeah so it's it's interesting he's just got a weird filmography but uh do you think the last duel is a good or bad addition to that film i think it's a difficult addition yeah i because it is i think an insanely well put together movie totally but I, I guess I had some reservations about how certain certain things were handled. Um, I'm curious. Also, it's just a very joyless movie, but because um, it just seems like everyone's pissed or sad or traumatized or something, oh, yeah. with the exception of uh, uh, Ben Affleck with his little goatee. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious as to what you thought of the last two, because it sounded like you had liked it. At least after you saw it, right? Or yeah, I, I did like it, that? Michael. Yeah, I did not like the first like thirty minutes because we're following yeah. um, Matt Damon, and I was like, "Geez, this guy, this guy!" And then also, like, there's stuff happening in the first like thirty minutes when we're following Matt Damon's character, and it was just kind of like showering over me. I was like, "What am I supposed to be getting out of this? I don't know." But then. Once we hit that first transition and we start following mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Kylo Ren's character, <laughs> then I was like, oh, okay, that's what all of that was for. And there's characters in this movie who actually have a personality. Okay. That's when I started feeling more sold on it. And from that point on, for the most part, I quote unquote enjoyed it. I was entertained. Okay. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, I actually kind of like that first half because I think there's some cool, like, I think the way a lot of the battle sequences and stuff are handled is really well done. Yes. And I also think the way they sort of establish, you know, both this is like a Rashomon type film and then as told by Matt Damon's character where he sort of aggrandizes things as like the victim, I'm the victim here Mm -hmm. and I'm an honorable man and, and my wife loves me and everything is grand except for this freaking Adam driver guy being a, a a dink or whatever. And (laughs) of course it's just, it's, I think once it sort of clicked to me that it's like, okay, yeah, this is, uh, this is him him embellishing the story so he looks like a, a the kind-hearted victim. And even then, though, it also sort of lets it slip that this guy is just kind of a boring <laughs> yeah. 
I, I would say dirt bag, hey, a, a boring kind of dirt bag in a way. Yeah. Because he he's got these like these sort of like entitlement senses that he's got going on. It's like I should be the the captain of the castle or something, and I should do this, and and mm-hmm. I'm the honorable one who is kind and and stuff and. Then he gets knighted and no one claps and stuff, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. But... So good. Like they build it up that he's not a likable guy. Yeah. And then they switch over to Adam Driver, who's not likable, but for a totally different reason. And yeah. he's best friends with Ben Affleck and a little blonde goatee. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like at that point, it's it's kind of like, yeah, because like you said, it, it becomes a story with actual characters. Yeah. And, uh, but there are some moments that I had a harder time with. Oh, totally. Um, this not once, but twice, there are two very graphic rape sequences. Yeah, there are. And it's weird to me that it just felt like it was, so this is what I sort of struggled with. I wasn't sure if it was needed because in some ways I think it, it lets you empathize with, um, the the woman mm-hmm. Jodie Comer's character Margaret yep yeah 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 Marguerite um it lets you empathize emp- like empathize with her but at the same time we're like watching her be very physically and emotionally traumatized in a way that I think would actually be very that I had a difficult a harder time watching it in a way that I think could be very you know, even triggering for people. Like it's, it's, it's very blunt what it is and very graphic in a way. Mm. And he doesn't, and Ridley shows it twice. He does. Because when we get Margaret, when we get Marguerite's story, it's back only it's even more graphic and more kind of terrible. Yeah. And it was already pretty bad the first time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wasn't sure, like, at that point, it was like, I don't know why we're we're going through this totally. again other than to, to make the audience uncomfortable. And Yeah. And I don't know if that was if that was the right thing to do. It just felt kind of weird. Because yeah. in some way, I think it empathizes with the character, but in another way, I feel like it's it can be traumatizing for an audience in a way, and at the same time... um. Also feels sort of exploitative. Sure. You know, kind of like cheap, kind of like a cheap writing ploy or a cheap, like a, like a, like cranking up how terrible it is. Yeah. So you, as the audience kind of have no choice, but to Mm -hmm. like feel a certain way. Yeah. Which, and I don't know if that's right or wrong because, you know, (laughs) there probably is only one way you should be feeling about this, but. Yeah, it's tough because um, I remember when I, while I was watching it, um, the first time we get to that sequence is from Adam Driver's perspective. And then yeah. he basically corners her into a bedroom and then he slams a door behind him before committing this disgusting thing that he's about to do. And then <clears throat> I remember thinking in the theater when he slams that door behind him, I thought we would see a cut. Right there. Yeah. Because this t- this movie moves a lot. It does a lot of time skips. It's not shy of that at all. So I thought that we would just do a time skip there. And that would basically be emblematic of Adam Driver just blocking it out and being like, what I did was justified. Whatever happened, happened. And then we would actually see it later on when we see Jodie Com- Comer's character's perspective. But no, we see it both of those times, which 
I guess reinforces the different perspectives thing where it's still pretty friggin' disgusting when we see it from Adam Driver's yeah. perspective. And then it's even more nasty when we see it from, from Jody's perspective. But still, while I was sitting there watching it, it felt bad. It felt gross. And while I was sitting there with the two other individuals, the elderly couple in the theater, I felt uncomfortable. And one of them had to leave to get some popcorn or go to the bathroom or something. And I don't blame him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was <laughs> expecting that cut as well. Like, or at least like being a little less direct with it. And, and, um, it was kind of, I thought it was interesting that it was still this horrible, it was still clearly horrible with Adam Driver's side of the story because it's still, yeah. you know, this was supposed to be him embellishing the plot a bit and it's still very, very clearly rape. Yeah. And, and I don't know. Um, the fact it was there twice felt kind of especially, I felt especially bad about that. And I think, you know, from... I don't know. That was maybe my biggest hang up with this, with, with the, sure. but, um, as far as like the narrative goes, I like this sort of, I liked how it, it skipped time a lot. I liked how it was sort of, um, anachronistic in that way. It's, it's, I like that. I kind of like the Rashomon approach to storytelling at times. Mm. It can be kind of, it can be kind of fun. I think it can be overplayed or it can be done very poorly. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. One that maybe immediately comes to mind is uh, like the fifth season of Arrested Development or something. They tried the same thing and it didn't. I don't think <laughs> oh, it, really? Yeah. And I don't think it worked. Granted, that's a comedy and stuff, but I don't I don't think it, it necessarily made for an interesting structure. But in the case of The Last Duel, I kind of really liked that. Um, have you seen Rashomon, Michael? I have. Yes, yes. You're a seasoned veteran of Rashomon? I, I I have dabbled in the Rashomons from time to time. No, I, I do Good. really like Rashomon. It's, I think, a really kind of cool way to approach storytelling. Um, that, again, can't be overplayed. But for something like this, where it's sort of built around a, a what ends up becoming a court case. Yeah. I think it's kind of a cool idea. Um, yeah. So in the last duel, you're seeing three different characters' perspectives on a story. But what I thought was really interesting while I was watching it is there are pretty decent swaths where there is no conflict between the different characters' perspectives. Mm -hmm. Is that the case in Rashomon? Are they all pretty different depending on who's telling the story? Or are there sections that are almost identical? It's been a while, but yeah, there's a lot of... If I remember, if, from what I remember, yeah, there's there's still some overlap. It's not going to be like like the the in the case of the last duel, I think it is more consistent between each storytelling point. But yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty consistent. I think there are consistencies between each each version of the narrative. Um, Got it. Which I actually sort of I liked here. Like it was kind of. I did kind of enjoy us going back through some of the same sequences with the sort of with a different perspective, but at the same time, they sort of play out the same way. Yeah. Um, it sort of makes the differences a little more interesting because then you kind of see what what both the the supposed character recalling the story at this moment and also what Ridley Scott as the filmmaker want to kind of like highlight. Yes. Or what they think is the actual important parts of the story. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little worried 
because we got that first chapter with Matt Damon, and then we go immediately to the second chapter with um, Adam Driver. And the first section of both of theirs, both of their chapters is identical, except for like a couple of embellishments. So I was a little worried. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, are we going to watch the same movie again except a second time? Yeah. But no, they're pretty separate. The three characters and their three chapters are all pretty separate so that when there is any overlap, you can really kind of pay close attention to those parts and pick up on any of the differences or similarities. And it kept me surprisingly entertained. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Those sections. And I kind of liked what, how they embellished, uh, just like the very beginning, um, the, uh, the, the way both Matt Damon and Adam driver's characters recalled that initial battle was kind of fun because, uh, Matt Damon's character calls it as being like a heroic thing. People followed him into battle. He saved his friend's life. And it was a loss, but it was an honorable loss. And then from Adam Driver's perspective, it's like, this guy's an idiot and I have to save him, which he does. (laughs) And it's his fault the battle is lost, but we should at least try to pity him um, because he meant well. Like, I enjoyed that. I thought it was kind of a fun, like immediate characterization for both of them. And it was just kind of fun. I don't know. Um, I agree. The, Michael, I will be right back. I have to go to the bathroom okay. real quick. Okay. Okay. So to kind of wrap up last duel though, the duel itself mm-hmm. I thought was very good. Yeah. Just like as far as like an exercise of like building up tension and then playing off of that tension yes because they don't telegraph who will actually win in this thing and there are a couple of moments where it could go either way and they Mm -hmm. sort of build up the stakes um as far as like what it could mean for marguerite's character for marguerite um sort of her her the ending of her story Mm -hmm. and just with all of that together, because you already empathize with her because you, you watched her go through this horrible thing and then try to come back from it. And suddenly they put her life is sort of on the line as well. And then you have just this very like visceral back and forth between Matt Damon and Adam and Adam driver's characters. And it's just so well filmed and just mm-hmm. it looks good they're like it's all grimy they're swinging things at each other it's grotesque in the ways you want something like that to be and yes ah it was just a really good like good it was it was a the duel itself for the last duel was i thought fantastic as far as like a uh just as a scene i don't know oh absolutely especially given that that's the name of the movie yeah. and i liked like you're mentioning I like how Ridley Scott didn't shy away from that brutal violence stuff that undoubtedly went on during that period of time where there's a scene where we've got Matt Damon just like wrapping some chainmail around his fist and just beating a soldier to a bloody pulp. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you got it, Ridley. This is how it goes down. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) during the duel itself, you have moments that are just like... You know, where Matt Damon's character gets stabbed in the leg and there's just blood the way you think there would be blood coming out of it. People's faces are just pulped in the ways you think they'd be. The freaking horses both go down in some pretty horrifying ways. It's just they the, certainly do. The whole thing just is this grotesque 
like this really just grotesque spectacle and i i think really just pulls it off there um i don't know i just that was like a high like if i have a hard time recommending this movie for people because i think it is so dark and heavy and just kind of totally. like cruel to its female character and yeah. it's not a happy feel-good movie no <laughs> But that the battle sequence is just such a good, like, it's what you'd want something like that to be in a movie like this. Yeah. And, and the ending, they do a good job, I think, of, of sort of underscoring that, you know, this was, this was Marguerite's trauma, but the, but the characters had made it about themselves in a way. Yeah. Sort of that parade at the end. And, um, I did really like that too, Michael. How, yeah. A character wins the duel and they're celebrating, but it feels disgusting and gross and it don't feel good at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like very well handled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it as like a commentary in a way, or like not in a, in a commentary, but like as in a, a sort of adaptation of you know the Me Too movement and stuff like that. I thought it was very, yeah. very effective and and basically all the ways that it handled that where it became, you know, it was the woman's trauma, but we had turned it into a story about two nobles sort of fighting with each other. Yeah. And, and like, I thought that was all just really effective. Um, I don't know. I, I, I did like the last duel. I just have a, it would be a hard movie for me to recommend to people um, just because of how, just because of, of, of sort of how violent it gets, but Mm-hmm. I think it was really well made, well put together, and I did enjoy it. It's just this really joyless thing, you know. Oh, totally. Were there other people in the theater when you went, Michael? Yeah, a couple. Actually, it was not a full theater, but it was maybe the biggest crowd I've seen since COVID in a movie theater. Really? Yeah, that's impressive. Coming from the movie that spawned headlines like. Halloween Kills does so at the box office, but the last duel fizzles. Okay, yeah, but at the same time, I think we have to take into account that (laughs) the most people since COVID is not a big number. (laughs) Yeah. I'm talking like maybe uh, I went with my significant other and and there was maybe four or five other parties in the movie theater. Okay, sure. Um, Sure, sure. I wondered how much of it was maybe overflow from a sold out Dune showing or something, but (laughs) yeah. I don't know. Um, it's not a short movie, though. It's like, what, two and a half hours or something like that? No, it's a, it's a pretty hefty film, yeah. It goes on for quite a bit, yeah. Have you seen The Revenant, Michael, starring the Academy Award winning Leonardo DiCaprio? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah? Yeah. The very, very end of The Last Duel, um, there's there's one final scene, but the scene right before that, it ends with a character breathing in and out exactly how The Revenant ends. Yeah, really? Yes. Okay. And I was like, oh, Ridley Scott, you plagiarize yeah. <laughs> The Revenant. But then there's one more scene at the end. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. You officially did not plagiarize Revenant. Good for you. You did it. Yeah. That said, the final scene kind of felt tacked on in a way. It did. Absolutely. It felt like it was trying to to give this thing a happy ending that... yes. Yes, I don't know. that would make the the two other elderly people who we attended the movie with in the theater go, oh, that was cute. Yeah. And I don't know <laughs> if it was, 
I don't think it was needed. It felt kind of cheap no. and was kind of totally. Especially kinda, since the, the it feels like the real closure came with the text afterwards, where it was like, "Yeah, uh, this character runs off into the Crusades and dies." <laughs> yeah, dies like five years later or something. Yeah, so <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, which felt it's like great. the actual closure, and so I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the last duel. I, yeah, worth braving the COVID theaters to see Michael. Uh, I'm vaccinated, and I don't believe this theater had a vaccination requirement. Another one that I go to does have a vaccination requirement. Oh, really? Yeah, no yeah, yeah. Do they vet that? Do they have cards for you guys? Yeah, you have to bring check? your. You have to either bring your vax card, or you have to bring your like uh, uh, a photo of your vax card and ID, kind of like what a lot of concert halls are doing now. No way. Um, and prove that you know that you've got your shot, or you've got your test in the past seventy two hours or something so that you're not like walking in with a so at least the presumption is you're not walking in and as like a time bomb or something that you you're not you're not you're not turning the movie theater into a petri dish so interesting did you have to do this to witness the cinematic event of the century aka the new lord of the rings aka the new star wars dune uh i was wondering where we were gonna go with that um i was like there could be like five different movies you're talking about here <laughs> dune and dune, <laughs> dune. Um, yeah no I, I did have to that was so when we went to see dune yes that was sort of the requirement it was it was a vaxxed vax only theater um interesting which we were also the only ones there, but it was like Sunday afternoon in a small okay. town theater. It's not like a, you would expect things to fill out. But that was also the only time I think I've ever been in a situation where, you know, we were the only ones in a movie theater. Really? Kind of a weird feeling. What was it like? Was it empowering? Was it weird? Uh, I felt kind of guilty. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, because it's like, you know, you paid again in and stuff, and then they... Like, there's this full movie theater here. There's, like, 20, yeah. 30, 40 rows of seats or whatever. And they have to treat it like people are, again, <laughs> an audience is here seeing this thing. Yeah. But it's just two people. And it feels so, <laughs> so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It sounds like you're in a lot of thinly, thinly viewed films. Is it sort yes. of... Does it like it, it? How do you feel about those kinds of things? I don't know. It is weird. Yeah, I've been to a couple where I've been the only one, or me and the party that I've been with have been the only people there. And I guess that the first the first time I that was the case, I think it was probably similar to you, where it felt weird and uncomfortable that all of this was happening just for me. And then it made me kind of wonder if they even played the movie if there was no one in the theater. And yeah. my assumption is that they probably would, yeah. at least at the theater in my neck of the woods, they would probably just show it and then still have the staff walk up and down the aisle and make sure no one's recording it. And then probably still have the janitors come through and sweep up, you know, if there's any popcorn or garbage or anything. Yeah. So after that point, I guess I just considered it a bonus if I didn't have to worry about someone burping or sneezing. Yeah. During a moment that I was particularly invested in for whatever reason, or I could burp and sneeze whenever I pleased. Yeah. It's more the latter for me. You know? <laughs> exactly. But yes. like it's, yeah, 
it just it felt kind of weird. I think they do show it anyway because you never know if you're going to get like stragglers coming through sure. or yeah. um and I don't know what the I don't know what the agreements with movie with the the studios are. I wonder if that's like a we have to have this many times where we show it or this many like yeah. no matter what we have to do this kind of thing. So I uh, I imagine they still show it. So I really shouldn't feel bad, but at the same time it was like it just felt kind of bizarre, you know. Um, yeah, it's it has to feel weird watching a one hundred and sixty five million dollar movie yeah. by yourself in a theater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of our cinematic event of this summer, the Star Wars Redux, the new Lord of the Rings. Uh, am I missing anything? I feel like that was what did you what did you think of Dune? What did you think of Dune? I think of Dune. I was not exposed to any Dune stuff prior to this movie. Okay. Uh, all I was aware of was something with sand and something with worms. Yeah. And going in with that outlook and perspective, I enjoyed it. Okay. What did you think, Michael? What's your perspective? What 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 angle you did you attack Dune from? My only knowledge of Dune before coming in was that it was supposedly this this unadaptable mm, thing yes. because David Lynch had did it and failed. And there's mm-hmm. the, uh, the attempt in the 70s that also fell on its face. And did that happen? Was that a series or a show or a movie? It was a um, why am I blanking on their name? It was a, like an acclaimed art house director. Really? Back in the 1970s, who had attempted it and just couldn't make the movie. Oh, wow. And then there was a... Uh, David Lynch made one in the 80s that was apparently terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, to the point that it almost derailed his career. Oh, wow. And then there was like a BBC series or something that apparently wasn't bad, but... Um, okay. It's notoriously a hard book to adapt. Yeah. They've been trying for a while. Yeah. Because huh. especially in the 70s, I think. No, it wasn't the 70s so much. I, I think especially in like the 80s, I think they wanted to because they could, you know, this was maybe the, the most direct book you could try to adapt if you wanted to capture sort of the same energy that Star Wars had and stuff. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Um. But it just it, it's and the reason is, is because there's so much like world building. There's so much exposition. There's so many things happening in this movie that you need to, you know, you need to be able to establish that there's like weird space witches and <laughs> indigenous people who are always high on on spice <laughs> with blue eyes who yes. are not so subtly metaphors for <laughs> For like uh, people living within the Middle East, um, there's a lot of language stuff they throw around that are very much words that are used in Arabic. And really, yeah, yeah, stuff like um, one of the ones that stood out to me was the word Mahdi that they use, and I'm probably not pronouncing it totally correctly, but basically, it's it's the the uh, in in. In the Islamic faith, it's supposed to be like the descendant of Muhammad, who is their uh, their their Messiah. Yes. Like they're throwing around words like this consistently, but then there's also this like palace intrigue you have to understand with dueling houses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how Arrakis plays into all of that and what all of this means and how, why you just, just there's a lot of exposition there. You have to be able to deal with while still being able to put together a coherent movie. Yeah. And that's sort of my, impre- what I understand is sort of being like the, the thing that everyone's always sort of struggled with when trying to turn this into something. Um, and even then, I'm not sure how well you could say Dennis Villeneuve does with his Dune because he had to split it into two movies. So, because he had to make enough room for all of those kinds of, of all of that exposition. He did. Um, but outside of that, my only impression of Dune was that a bunch of people that I consider to be like writers that I respect and stuff like that always talked highly of Dune. And I was sort of excited to see it because of that. Um, because it's always been sort of sold to me as this very elaborate, like very smart science fiction series with very competent world building that had something kind of to say when it came out. And I think that thing that it, it would had to say is very clearly applicable to today as well. Yeah. How nuts is that, Michael? It's kind of it was it, well, it was one of the things that I liked the most because he's very directly aping a lot of like you know real world imagery, right? You know the you've got the the way they kind of frame the um the the indigenous people. I think the femur femur. Am I saying that right? The the freemen, the fremen. Yes. They're yep. very much Fremen? like coded yep. to be, you know, uh, um, Middle Eastern, and they're they're uh, the like the shots of the 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 drones and stuff like that are very much framed mm-hmm. to look like helicopters, and the yep the whole thing is a, being a war for spice and a desert planet is very much intended to look like. <laughs> you know, a stand in for something like oil. Um, So it's not very subtle. (laughs) Yeah. But um, do you have any idea, Michael, how closely that maps to the source material? Because the book came out in 1965, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like a way long time ago. Yeah. My impression is that it's I I don't know. Actually, I've never actually read Dune. Yeah. But my impression is that it's not too far away from the source material in that regard. That's bonkers. Um, I think when you look back at the original Dune, though, if you're looking for something, like what could have been the the catalyst for these these metaphors that still clearly work today? And I think the answer is, well, you've got the Vietnam War. You've got a bunch of other Cold War things happening. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got things that could be your, your pretty direct analogs. Same way that like... You know, in the seventies, those some of these th- same things ends up end up becoming like the source material for Star Wars and, and stuff like that. Wow! And it all still feels very familiar in some ways. So, <laughs> yeah, um, that's eerie. But uh, you liked Dune. It sounded like I did, Michael. Yeah, I did. I still, <clears throat> despite enjoying it, Michael, I got some weird vibes from it. Some weird, like book adaptation vibes which I usually get from like young adult book adaptations like Hunger Games or Divergent or Twilight or stuff like that, where 
you get a lot of exposition and explanation of weird, random, arbitrary world building things. Yeah, yeah. Like how this suit that they poop in will recycle their moisture for their bodies. Or Did they, they didn't actually say that, right? No, they didn't that, say because that's something no, that's in the there's books. There's like a bunch of articles. Yeah, yeah. that's something in the books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes but, and then also like this tooth that just so happens to be a poison tooth but also happens to allow the person who bites down on it breathe poison to kill other people who are in their surroundings yeah. and weird stuff like that but then we don't explain why there's this big dude who can float doing a bunch of mean things to people running around this galaxy or whatever. Yeah. It feels very inconsistent with that. And I think, I think that that's probably largely caused by a large book trying to get squeezed down into a movie. And it makes me have infinitely more appreciation for the Lord of the Rings movies. Cause I have no idea how, uh, James can or not James Cameron, uh, James Cameron's avatar, Mark two, AKA Dune. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know how Peter Jackson. Yes. Yeah. You, I don't know how Peter Jackson managed to distill any of those books into a movie and not give me those vibes because I don't recall feeling that very much with the first, the first Lord of the Rings movie, especially. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Yeah. Fellowship. My impression but, is there's some stuff that's cut. Yeah. Is there? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in the first one, especially because that's the only. Yeah. So there's my no only experience with the books, with the Lord of the Rings books, are The Hobbit and. Uh, fellowship of the ring or the part of lord yes. of the rings it's the fellowship of the ring yes and there is there is some there's some substantial stuff cut like an entire totally. se- huge sequence of events is just not there which is i think actually probably for the better for the movie because you're not trying to explain away weird elf like god figures who yeah who are also very goofy and just sitting in force <laughs> for whatever reason and sitting out the the big war but um I think, see, what actually kind of surprised me was I thought the way Dune, this Dune was, was sort of put together, it handled a lot of the exposition stuff pretty well. Yeah. Or at least it didn't feel as clunky where you'd had these very unnatural conversations with people talking yeah. about... Just like, oh yeah, fun fact, the Fremen walk in very unrhythmic ways to not wake the sandworms. Isn't that strange? Ha ha ha. They, by turning it into like a a weird National Geographic clip. Yes. I think made it a little more natural and. Absolutely. Just the way sort of the palace intrigue also kind of unraveled by what mostly felt like natural conversation and not just a, a weird diagram of these are the houses and these are the ones who don't like each other these are the rivals it just kind of unfolded naturally yes um that was some of the stuff i thought it handled well i thought it handled some of the world building well i think especially visually it is fantastic yes um i agree with you with the world building yes i think um there's we're following basically royalty for the bulk of this movie and so when you're when you're in that moment when the character's getting explained something, they're going to a new planet, so it makes sense, okay, they're at a new place, that's why they're getting explained this, and they're royalty, so they probably want explanations for everything whenever possible, mm-hmm. because they're very rational people. So there was an explanation for it, 
and it made sense why they were getting explained it. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly. I thought some of the stuff with the weird with uh the the sort of like sect of witches and stuff who are who seem like the actual power brokers in, oh yeah the series was not i don't think that was well explained or no or, it was very fast and it wasn't very clear yeah and it didn't really i don't feel like it, it was allowed to settle enough to also sort of make it a an interesting like a mystery or at least a mystery worth kind of like parsing yeah. especially mm-hmm. when you have so much of the drama playing out as this like this this royal drama this political drama and when so much of what's established seems more more interested in those kinds of things um mm-hmm. and i think a part of the other another part of another issue here is that the sort of the characters involved and in, in those two different strands of stories are are i I had a an easier time sort of being interested in what like what like Oscar Isaac's character was doing or mm-hmm. what Jason Momoa was doing, mm-hmm. partially because they're just such charismatic actors, but totally. also just because it was I, I was more interested in what they were doing. And yes. meanwhile, with Timothy Chalamet's um, Paul, and and with that sort of line, I don't think the it just I wasn't as interested, and I think a big part of it was I wasn't really caring as much about the characters as portrayed by like Timothy Chalamet or Zendaya yeah. and and stuff. Yeah. So I, I don't know, and it makes me worried for Dune too because it, clearly you've shed so much of that that palace intrigue stuff, and clearly it's supposed to be built more around you know Timothy Chalamet building the revolution and stuff, and I don't know how. I don't yeah. know if he is going to be able to carry that on his own, at least not at this point. Yeah. I have no idea either, Michael. It is, man, in some ways, uh, this movie is seems like it's the best that it ever could be. And in other ways, it's frustrating for me. It feels like they should have done more mm-hmm. when it comes to a lot of that political intrigue stuff. Because they're... They do a lot in such a short runtime. Like there is the entire building up of a, you know, new reign of this planet and then the complete dismantling of that new reign in this singular movie, in addition to a bunch of other things, including setups and payoffs, that it seems like the book probably had significantly more playtime for all that stuff. Yeah. In this movie that didn't. But it still has, there's still scenes in there. What I was really afraid of going into this movie was that I was hearing a lot of, this is just the first part. It's a lot of buildup and it's, you're not going to get a payoff. Sorry, guys. I was really worried that there just wasn't going to be any there there. I thought there wasn't going to be anything that I could even enjoy or grasp onto or be entertained by as a movie. But there's scenes in there like... Chalamet's character having a needle held to his throat or what's oh Oscar Isaac's character uh flying down to do a last minute rescue before a sandworm swallows a bunch of people up that were legitimately entertaining and microcosms in this larger whole of a movie that's just this dead end first chapter yeah and I mean I've heard I've been seeing sort of uh, people talk about this this movie as though 
you know, it really should have been like an HBO series or something. And I think they're probably right. Because as yeah. far as like where this movie ends at is just an, it, it, it ends on a cliffhanger and it's such, I think, a poor cliffhanger to end on. Yeah. In part because I don't think we've really been able to get a whole lot of, 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 you know, the, the sort of main heroes here, Timothy Chalamet's mm-hmm. Paul, Zendaya, and uh, Paul's mom, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> I think it was like yeah. Jessica, something really bland. But um, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't think we we spend enough time with them in a way that feels meaningful. And right? it, it's it seems like so much of the story is instead, you know, the the Oscar Isaac trying to settle into a planet while there's apparently some maneuvering going on in the background, and like that seems like that's where the plot really is, and everyone else is just sort of swept up into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I just, with that sort of being the end note then is that it, it transitions to those characters doing something in the desert and not really going anywhere in the desert <laughs> after this like fight. Yeah. It's just, it felt like a weird note to end on. Like I, I'm kind of genuinely worried about what another Dune movie looks like because I don't, I don't really care about these people at this point. Yeah. There were characters I cared about, but they're all dead. So <laughs> what? How do you, Maya, how do you feel about uh, Villeneuve hmm? and his filmography as a whole? Do you oh, like Villeneuve? his other movies? Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't experienced as much Villeneuve as I'd like. I did really like his Blade Runner movie. Um, yes, the, uh, Blade Runner 2049, I thought was Mm -hmm. a cool update to that series and sort of, it captured all the notes that I think it was supposed to capture while still being its own. Like I thought it had its own sort of visual style, which I think is hard because Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner has such a, a strong visual style. Yeah. Um, Sicario I've seen and I, I like Sicario enough, I guess. I think it's sort of not the greatest movie in the <laughs> yeah. world some of the like the actual plot itself sort of falls over it, it, itself i think a couple of times but as far as like an exercise and in, in you know building large beautiful sweeping landscapes and visuals and things like that um which i understand to be sort of villain of strong suit i think sicario mm-hmm. kind of captures that as well um yeah but those are the only two Villeneuve movies I've seen. Interesting. I've been told I should watch Arrival, but I've just never gotten around to it. Yeah. Because Arrival is his own original thing, or is that based on a short story or something? I think it's based on a short story. Yeah, I think that's right. It's interesting knowing that he did 2049, which is like an unenviable task, which is finding a way to follow up Blade Runner somehow. Yeah. It seems like he found a way that was mostly well-received. And um, in Dune... Yeah, go ahead. What you it's got? interesting. It was well-received, but it was a box office disaster. Was it really? Yeah. I did not like, know this. Like, he was... The way that the people sort of talked about it in the aftermath was like, it's it's amazing villain have got a chance to make another big sci-fi movie because just... Blade Runner 2049 did not do good. Really? Despite um, having Harrison Ford all over the marketing material? I know. 
And I guess Jared Leto was there too. (laughs) He was. Yeah. No, it came in. Oh, and it looks like it wasn't quite a bomb though. It's weird. I thought I've, I could have sworn people were talking about it as it was, as though it was some kind of like financial disaster, but it doesn't look like it. It couldn't have been a cheap movie. No, it was definitely not a cheap movie. (laughs) Multiple, multiple millions of dollars. I think, I think somewhere between a hundred and two hundred million dollars. Which oh my lord! The budget, according to Wikipedia, is between one hundred and fifty million and one hundred and eighty-five million dollars, which is a lot of money for for movies, especially for a follow-up to Blade Runner, which is kind of this weird, sort of art housey abstract thing at times yeah so i don't know geez and follow that up with another unenviable task which is adapting an unadaptable novel yeah and it seems to be pretty well received the interesting thing is that uh rotten tomatoes audience score higher than the critic score no yeah what do you make of that michael I don't know because I think as a critic you could take like I think there are obviously faults with it that you can point to you know the the pacing's a little weird some of the character mm-hmm. works kind of lacking especially with I think characters like Paul and and yep. Jessica and stuff but at the same time as like a spectacle it's I think incredible some of the visual yeah. stuff is amazing the 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 way you know when they're leaving their original planet you've got those large those big boxy ships sort of hanging over this like like hanging over the water it's fantastic their arrival the visuals Mm -hmm. of them arriving on arrakis is fantastic the Mm -hmm. everything about it is just this really beautifully shot and edited and and this beautifully also beautiful sounding thing yes Hans Um, zimmer thank you yeah um so, but I think there are things critics could ding them on, and I'm actually kind of amazed. I'm kind of more surprised that audiences are more positive about it. Yeah, that's what, what that's I was worth. surprised by too. There must be, there must be some kind of thread that audiences can kind of hang on to, because with like a lot of these more art housey movies, which seems to be, um, uh, Villeneuve's style in a sense. I've seen Sicario on Arrival, and this one in 2049 it seems like with sicario i really got lost in the plot and i Mm -hmm. wasn't entirely sure what was happening with dune i was mostly sure what was happening and whenever i wasn't there was usually something pretty to look at which meant that that probably translated to pretty happy moviegoers for the people who did punch their tickets to see it and thank goodness they announced that a sequel is going to be made because it was really frustrating (laughs) watching this movie and being aware of the zeitgeist surrounding it and the fact that they had not yet confirmed a sequel somehow. Yeah. Well, I think they were worried about another, uh, they were worried about a flop or something like that. Cause it's a big movie to, yeah, I think it's a big bet. Something like, like Dune is Mm -hmm. is a lot of money to, there's a, there's a a lot of money put behind it. And if the first one flopped, then yeah. You know, it's 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 a big flop. Yeah. Um worth noting audiences also apparently really liked Blade Runner 2049. It's got a really? 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I what? am very surprised to see. Cuz that's that crazy. An- Cuz that seemed like another one that got that would be weird in a way that 
you know, audiences might be, be a little, might, might chafe totally. at, but. No, I, I really liked how he helmed this movie though. Like the cinematography, the way he handled effects for the most part, the, just like the general style of it felt very competent and yeah. felt like he wanted to show things in a certain way. And he showed them that way instead of just being like, I have to make a movie. So this is how I'm going to make a movie, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's got a, it's got a, it's, it's got a, a, it definitely has like a filmmaker style to it. It's not like a, mm-hmm. it's not like, it does not look like something that was just handed off to whichever director was brave enough to handle a Dune adaptation. It seems like it was very intentional. It was meant to look a certain way that the filmmaker wanted it to look like and sound like and play mm-hmm. like. And mm-hmm. In a lot of those departments, I think it worked. I think my only issue was, again, was a lot of the character work. And I think a big part of that is the fact that it is such a meaty text that you do have to do so much. Yeah. Just so much more extra work to make make sense for people who don't have a book in front of them. Like yeah. I think I read somewhere recently that when this was originally at, adi- like when the original adaptation happened back in the 80s. Uh, for the David Lynch movie that they had to have like a cheat sheet. Like they gave out, they gave audiences a cheat sheet with like, really? Yeah. With like, like short encyclopedia blurbs about, you know, some of the, the, the intrigue and things or some of the words that are using, there was like glossary and stuff. Um, That's nuts. So uh, as far as that stuff goes, I think Villeneuve did well and it just, the, what suffered was, I think, then the the cast, the characters. Yeah. Which also sounded like the hardest part to sort of adapt in a way that would be interesting. Because they're doing, like, weird space magic stuff. They can command people with their voice. It's yeah. very bizarre, considering how much more grounded the rest of the movie seems. Mm-hmm. Or how much That's... more directly analogous to, like, real-world scenarios the, the rest of the movie seemed. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like such a hard type tightrope to walk especially with that protagonist paul character yeah. with like you gotta you, he is a prince he's a duke but he can't be a mary sue you can't make him be able to do everything right but mm-hmm. at the same time like he's kind of running the whole ship <laughs> yeah in a sense so it's 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 weird i think they uh they they walk a good tightrope in some sense. He doesn't always succeed in everything he does throughout the entirety of the movie. Mm. But at the same time, it seems like he's got some plot armor on that's going to make him do totally fine no matter what happens. I kept waiting for like a moment where they totally undercut him as like a, a character. Because it seems like they were... It seems like the signs are that this is supposed to be your chosen one. This is supposed to be your, yes. your, your Luke Skywalker, your Jesus, your... <gasps> Wow. Yeah. Your, your hobbits on their way to Mordor, but mm-hmm. I kept, it, it feels like there's always this like layer of, you know, is that really the case? Because there's a, like, they do sow a little bit of doubt in the beginning, I think with the, the sort of the, the, this head of the, the witches or whatever. And I don't remember their yep. names technically. It's some kind of weird sci-fi stuff, but, um, so I kept waiting for a rug to be pulled out and it never felt like it was ever really pulled out yeah. here, but I feel like that's sort of where they're building. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my 
understanding of Dune as like a novel, as like a series of novels, is that the first one sort of plays off the hero's journey, and then the second one sort of takes some steps to sort of undercut that. Oh, interesting. So I'm kind of waiting for that moment because I don't, yeah, I don't want him to be like a, I, I don't want another Luke Skywalker character <laughs> yeah. in, in sci fi, <laughs> which I feel bad saying because Dune predates Star Wars pretty significantly. But yeah, um, I just don't know if that's the character type this person should have. I think there should be a little more going on there, a little more fault. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of waiting for that and it never happened. But my impression is that they kind of left a couple of crumbs that said, Hey, we might go this route. And yeah. Yeah. I think like a month ago, I saw an article somewhere with uh Vilnov saying that he really, really hopes a part two would happen because he thinks that that movie could be really, really good and probably even better than the first movie. And at that point in time, I was like, that's a really weird thing to say about this multi-million dollar movie you just made. Yeah. But <laughs> do you, how do you feel, Michael, about Villeneuve being in charge of this second movie? Do you feel like he could spin something good out of it with where he ended off the first one? Or do you think he's going to have to pull something crazy out of his sleep to make it work? Uh, I would want to see what he does with a part two, just because I think, I I don't know, it would be very weird to go from a villain of part one and then like, I don't know, a Ridley it Scott part two, oh, or yeah. like, because it's the first one is so, it's just so, at least so visually uh, a Dennis villain of movie. Yes. Um. So I I would have a hard time seeing anyone else do it. I don't, it's a weird, it's such a weird thing to say though, because it feels like it's discouraging people from going to see this, this original <laughs> yeah. one. Or you're trying to encourage them by saying, look, if you go see this, I'll get the, the green light to do my real yeah. Dune movie. Uh, that wouldn't feel good. No, it already kind of doesn't feel good. I just kind of don't like where it left off. Um, but I, I don't. I I definitely agree with you about uh, Villeneuve coming back for the second one because, yeah, while I was watching this, I felt a lot of the time like, is this going to be a Star Wars situation where we get three different directors doing who knows what and it's going to feel really weird? Yeah, which I kind of <laughs> hope isn't going to be a thing anymore because of sort of the Star Wars experience. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, because that would be such a weird, it'd be such a weird tone shift, especially with directors like with someone like a Dennis Villeneuve who has such a clear style, mm -hmm. like, um, I just, I don't, I guess we don't have to worry about, about, I don't think we have to think too hypothetically about it. It sounds like a Dune 2 is, they confirmed a Dune 2 recently, I think. Yep. So yep. for next year, even, I think. Really? It might be two years from now, 2023. I would hope This time, 2023. 2023, I think it is, Michael, two years from okay. now. Is has have they confirmed that it's Villeneuve's movie? Yes, I believe they have. Okay, so that is that's good. It just it would that's feel crazy. like such a weird shell. It'd be a weird whiplash to go from it would be part one to like a part two from someone else. Yeah, he has a very idiosyncratic style, kind of. Yeah, sort of how he does the movie would yeah. be the same. Okay. I get. I had this. Uh, there was another thing. I just had this weird fear after seeing Dune, 
that this would become another Star Wars in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and I say this as someone who loves Star Wars, or at least did love Star Wars, and still kind of does. Um, Just like in 20 years, are we going to be having like a Dune miniseries about a character <laughs> who was referenced for like two seconds in this movie? And yeah. is this the new thing that we have the expanded universes for? Is there a Dune pod racing game now? Or oh, no. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm worried that that's where we're trending because I think that's what people... When I say people, I think that's what what sort of some folks wanted when they tried initially adapting Dune was to sure. make it this big franchise that they could, yeah, you know, they could tap the same way that you could tap Star Wars now. Yes, and it's it's I'm worried that with this doing so well, they were going to have just a bunch of weird spinoff stuff. Some yeah. of it that might be good, and then just some of it that just would be so bizarre and so tasteless. I don't know. Yeah. The fact that there's a book behind this makes it feel grosser to me for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. And the fact that it's so much more, it's so aggressively political. Too. Sure. Yep. Yep. Because yep. I think it's like, again, I mean, you you sit down and watch and it's like, it's very blunt. They're doing like, you know, like that, that somewhere in this, it, it went it's it's maybe the U.S. and Vietnam, or it's like the Iraq War or something, because it's so mm -hmm. blunt and like the imagery it's pulling and sort of the the setup for the plot, the whole resource war and yeah and stuff, and for that then to become you know like like a toy line or something <laughs> would just be bizarre. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful world we live in, Michael. Yeah. What other movie can I watch where there's some mysterious new planet with some valuable resource being mined by people who are not the natives who depend on this resource for recreational and or cultural uses only for other people to potentially join with these natives in order to lead an insurrection against their previous acquaintances? Last of the Mohicans. Oh, that's the My movie. guy. Thank you, uh... Michael. Well, I don't know. Do you think we get Dune 2 first or Avatar 2 first? <laughs> I have no idea, Michael. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to live to see the day where Avatar 2 happens. I don't know. Because I, I don't want... even know how people are going to look at Avatar 1. What's yeah. going to happen? I don't even know. Because like you, it's weird because Avatar 1 was such like a big movie when it came out. Mm -hmm. But like no one remembers it. Yeah. Like no one sits there and talks about the time they saw Avatar. No. Like they talk about the time they sat down to see Endgame or Titanic. Oh, yes. you know, like the the these other sort of like high grossing movies. But no one's sitting down talking about the time they saw Avatar with their friends, you know? Man. Yeah. What was it, just, it? Why did that movie do so well, Michael? Was it the 3D? I think it was just the 3D. It was just visually really cool. And it had robots with machine guns, which is kind of cool. And, and I don't know. Sure. You would think it would be cool. <laughs> it's yeah. james cameron he's got <laughs> he's dependable at making pretty agreeable enjoyable if anything yeah. movies yeah when's marvel gonna get him yeah that's <laughs> probably when he's done with avatar 5 and what currently says 2028 but i will oh believe Lord. that when i see that so how does that happen <laughs> What, how are there five Avatar movies? Yeah, before yeah. a second one comes out. I don't get yeah. it, Michael. 
uh well it's because we're in that that weird stage now where everything's a franchise so we have like what we have five yeah. avatar movies we've got how many south park movies did they agree to oh over no at the one place? don't even remind me michael i almost forgot like everything's franchise material now so yeah i don't know thanks michael i'll look forward to dune 12 <laughs> coming 2078 <laughs> Uh, maybe the movies will catch or the, or the year will catch up to the movies year. Yeah. Um, Christ. Avatar two is coming out next year too. Is it really? Yeah. It's supposedly happening in December, 2022. Oh my gosh. I'll believe Which, it when I see it, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I'll believe it when I see it underwater. I sit the underwater one. That feels like, james cameron's dream so uh, gets to bring out his little titanic submarine yeah he gets to run around in a pool and then film people yeah. uh you know what i hope he's happy i hope for i i, I just want james cameron to enjoy himself at this point yeah Let him that's make why his i like that's why i like dune because i think that was Vilnov enjoying himself i think i watched some interview with him and he's like i love the book so much and mm-hmm. he said that he felt like he could do justice to some scenes. He said that when he was like a 16-year-old reading the book, he if he would have seen this movie, he would have been like, yes, that's how I thought that looked. He said he doesn't think that was the case for all of the scenes. But I'm glad that he gets a chance to screw around with this book that he loves so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good on him. Even if it yeah. costs 200, however, million dollars plus however much the second movie is going to cost. Oh, uh, how much is the series going to cost then? That's Yikes. crazy to think about. I don't know if uh, I want to know. Oh, Villeneuve. If Villeneuve is happy and, you know, like Timothy Chalamet gets to be happy and do Luke Skywalker stuff, you know, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Do you think maybe he'll be if... the protagonist for the full thing? uh i i can't speak to that i don't know don't know for i sure. think at least for the next movie he will be but i i don't i don't yeah. know how the dune series unfolds so yeah i don't either um but who knows anyway good times you watch any other fun 2021 releases michael uh Anything not lately i've been going through the about? alien series and there'll be more on that at a later date merp I think the only thing I want to say to that is that there are movies that within that series that I think get kind of maligned and I think kind of unfairly because there are some just really crazy things happening. Like it's weird to me because it's a series of, of movies done by a lot of directors who you would go on, who, who you would say are like, you know, prestige directors in a way it's, it's Ridley Scott. Then comes James Cameron. Who's mm-hmm. not, pre- maybe not prestige, but like an accomplished director who's made some of the biggest movies out there. And all of them are pretty well received both critically and, and audience wise. Yeah. And then you've got David Fincher doing a movie and you've got the guy who did, uh, <laughs> the French director who did Amelie <laughs> does <laughs> alien resurrection. And it kind of shows in a way that's really goofy, but I also, kind of really liked and then it's ridley scott's show again and it's just weird that there's this kind of like pedigree to you know the people behind a the alien series for a series that is very much just kind of 
you know, campy horror in a way. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of bizarre to me. It seems bizarre, Michael. All because Ridley Scott decided to make a movie about alien. Yeah. Big old penis metaphor, alien. Delicious. Alien is the only alien movie I've seen. Yeah, First alien movie. Spoiler alert. I think it's the best one, but... Sounds like there might be some disagreements coming up. Anyway. Anyway. Plenty to look um, forward to. That's something for another day. Christian, do you have anything else? We're kind of running a little late here. I don't know. No, I got. I, I watched Bad Trip, the 2021 Eric Andre movie. You ever oh. seen that movie, Michael? What are you talking about? There's an Eric Andre movie that came there, out this year called Bad Trip. There is? Starring Eric Andre of Eric oh, Andre show weird. fame. Yeah, no, I, I, yes. Is he, does it kind of carry that Eric Andre show vibe into it or? It does a little bit. Um, it's, it's basically bad grandpa. If Eric Andre was doing it instead of Johnny Knoxville and the jackass guys. That sounds like it'd be better than bad grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's probably better than bad grandpa. Yeah. I, I'd say that much. I don't know. It was, it was all right. I mean, I just threw it on in the evening. Watched through it, thought it was it was pretty good. There's 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 this weird uh, aspect to it where uh, it's a lot of hidden camera and then candid camera. Eric Andre does something crazy, and then these people react <laughs> to it. You know, situation going on. Okay. In addition to there actually being like a plot that the movie's following along, and there's like Eric Andre is a character in the movie, but. <clears throat> It's it's weird because a lot of the camera work is, is so unbelievably good and a lot of the reactions they get are so unbelievably genuine and mm-hmm. believable that it almost seems like the people's the the people they catch on camera are actors. They're not, but it almost seems that way. It's almost so it's like, too good to be true. Is it like a Borat kind of thing then? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. I okay. still found like Borat more enjoyable though. Did you like a subsequent movie film, Michael? I really liked subsequent movie film actually. Yes. It's kind of uncomfortable at times, but I think the way yes. it felt so perfect for the moment that it came out. And I don't know, like some of the stuff it, it, they did was like a little too much for me or yeah. like, yeah. Um, But there are just moments in that movie that are, crazy Mm -hmm. and they're real and it's like what the hell the whole crashing the did you you saw subsequent movie film right i did yep crashing the rnc's meeting Mm -hmm. or the rnc's convention yep the rnc's convention that the the rnc was like so much There's that meeting with like the local Republican Women's Association or whatever. (laughs) That is also just so much. Yes, so good. Um, uh, It was. It was. I think a fun like sort of. It felt. It just felt like a a very. It's the most I think like COVID nineteen twenty twenty end of the Trump administration kind of movie Mm -hmm. that could exist. Yes. And I enjoyed it so much for that, especially since it felt humanizing in ways, too, that I didn't kind of expect. Yeah. Totally. In yeah. ways that were also very uncomfortable. The whole sequence in the synagogue made me very uncomfortable as a as a, as a Jewish man. 
but that's perfect. That's but, all you uh, can ask for out of a Borat film, Michael. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't know. Anything else you want to kind of get out there? Do you want to wrap it up? Do we want to try to do a ranking? That's all I got, Michael. What do you want to rank? What's the we've ranking? Got, we've got three movies here. Three movies. How would you arbitrarily rank our three 2021 movies that we... Oh, man. Malignant versus The Last Duel versus oh. Dune. Oof. This is tough. I would put Malignant at the bottom. Yeah. Sorry. I respect it, but James Wan, you, you made a decent movie. Yeah. That I enjoyed. Okay. Uh, but I'd put it at the bottom of this list of three surprisingly solid films in the year 2021. Yeah. The top spot. I don't know, Michael. It's yeah. between Dune and Last Duel. I don't know which one I'd put first. Yeah, and I'm having this hard time too because Malignant would be at the bottom for me also because it feels like the less, as far as like the least well-crafted of these movies and also I think there's just some stuff that's just not great. The I think it's the mo some of the most fun I've had at a movie theater. Yeah. Or not at a movie theater, but just I saw that I watched this one on HBO, but uh, yeah. the most fun I've had watching a movie. But that's for 30 minutes at the end and... <laughs> You know, it's it's a little different, I think, going into like Dune or or The Last Duel. Because for like yeah. The Last Duel for me, I left thinking about stuff like like the thing that really stuck with me was sort of the 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 way when we talk about, you know, incidents in the Me Too the, like these Me Too incidents, these these moments where someone is outed for, you know, harassment or assault or rape or or some kind of grievous sexual crime. Yeah. Um, we focus so much more on like, you know, bigger overall meanings and things and not so much, you know, how do the victims feel coming out of this? Like we're thinking about Harvey Weinstein, not his victims. We're thinking about Brett Kavanaugh, not Dr. Blasey Ford. Mm. And mm. leaving the movie theater after seeing The Last Duel, that's sort of what was what was on my mind. And I think it's it's good that a movie can kind of have that effect where you start thinking about, you know, what, what's going on in reality, what's sort of being reflected here and having your like impressions, maybe not so much challenged, but at least recontextualized is I think a big thing. And Glee in the last duel had that effect on me in a way that you know, malignant definitely did. it. Yeah. And uh, in a way that I don't know if Dune did, like Dune to me was just this really excellent uh, sort of like an excellent uh, example of like a craft being done well with some plot faults. But at the end of the day, you know, the last duel was the one that sort of made me think about things a little more. Ooh, yes. So I, I'm inclined to put the last duel in front Ooh. because it does all of the things that I could say about Dune where it's just really well-crafted, well-written you know, film, but it also, I think, had this, like, this attempt to challenge uh, sort of real-world impressions, and it, it did make me think in a way that I don't really think about, I don't really think of when I watch some other movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Ridley and Scott, I, you genius. Yeah, Ridley <laughs> Scott, you genius, you Ridley Scott. Yep. I think it was you the first... Gladiator. We do. Yeah. Swords in a Ridley Scott movie. Thank you, yeah. Cats and Monsters. <laughs> yeah. 
I think it was the first movie co-written by uh, Affleck and Damon since Goodwill Hunting. Oh, really? I believe so. Uh, it's interesting that um, that's just an interesting dynamic to me because it feels like we're at this moment now where you know both Affleck and Matt Damon have had like their separate careers, and then they've had their like public. Like these these public moments recently, like Matt Damon said something really weird. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> uh, yeah, something really weird about like oh, I don't even remember what it was. He had some kind of weird weird cultural moment that wasn't that didn't make him look really good. Well Ben Affleck Yeah. You know, just seems like he's kinda coasting now. He seems like he's in a really good spot. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's always just like this weird dynamic like it feels like a weird zero sum game where if Ben Affleck's doing good, Matt Damon can't be, and then vice versa. And yeah. for them to have a movie together right now with that dynamic just is kind of fun, especially one that that clearly makes Matt Damon look like a, a complete tool, or at least his character looks like a complete <laughs> yes. tool. So <laughs> he absolutely is. Speaking um, of writing movie or er, movie writing, fun facts: I believe *Malignant* was co-written by James Wan's wife. Oh, that's kind of nice. Who also features in the film. Oh, really? Yes, she is uh, one of the police station people who always loves to chime in about how gruesome the crime scene is that they are attending. Oh, her? Yes, James Wan's wife. Oh, that's that's nice. That's cool. That's fun. It's all in the family. Yeah, all in the family. Uh, I wonder what James Wan's doing next. I think the next Aquaman. Is he really? He's doing Aquaman too. I think he's doing Aquaman too. Oh, geez. What are they doing with DC? They're still doing the, I, I guess they're still doing the Justice League stuff, huh? They're still carrying the, uh, the Zack Snyder torch. They're trying to. I don't know how that's, that's working out for them. I don't know. I didn't watch the Snyder cut, but like Wonder Woman 1984 wasn't really all that well received and it was kind of a garbage movie. And Ouch. I don't know. You're you're resting your laurels on Aquaman and Shazam at that point, and, or another Batman reboot. It just feels like a weird place to be. Yeah, place your bets, Michael. Will new Batman Robert Pattinson movie tie into the Snyderverse in any way? Yes or no? Uh, no, maybe. No, I don't think it will immediately. Um. If it does, it'd be very stupid, but yeah, because um, it's not, is it like a, a, a it's definitely, because I don't think it was supposed to be in within the universe, but are they no, like, I don't think so. Are they casting anyone that has some kind of overlap? Are we going to be seeing like a, a Jared Leto Joker popping <laughs> up again or uh, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Or uh, Margot Robbie doing Harley Quinn somewhere in the background. Yeah. No. Or is this going to be like a a setup for like a multiverse thing? Yeah, that might be it. They they might pull the least common denominator into the multiverse thing the way um, Marvel is. Flash is doing because they had that Flash trailer where they're pulling in Michael Keaton's Batman, I think. Oh, are they really? I think so. Okay. So that's sort of what I could kind of see happening. I think it'll be standalone, yeah. but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if down the road DC yeah, copies the MCU now yep. and, and pulls yep. the, the, the multiverse thing again. Mm-hmm. With what Spider-Man's doing. 
That you is excited to see some Raimi stuff going on in the in Spider-Man, Michael? <laughs> is Raimi attached to the project? No, I don't think so. He's he's attached to the second Doctor Strange movie, though. Hmm. He's directing that one, I think. Hmm. Because it, I don't know. I feel like they would rein in Raimi so much. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I don't, and I feel like the 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 MCU stuff is so you know so pasteurized that yeah. it would be hard to yeah like i don't i like i liked alfred molina's dr octopus a lot i don't want to see him come back yeah i liked i thought his story was tied up nicely why are we mm-hmm. fan servicing him back into a movie yeah it's just kind of gross yeah we saw what happens to Raimi when he's got a studio telling him what to do thanks spider-man 3 yeah which even then is still kind of this weird enjoyably <laughs> and this enjoyably weird thing it is in a way that a lot of the mcu stuff isn't and i don't know yeah i what feel like they're just that. going to like they're going to keep them so kind of wrapped up that it's not going to be yeah they're not going to let him kind of do his own thing but i don't know they let taika get away with some stuff and thor so maybe maybe we can hope we can hope especially for something ends. like doctor strange it feels like that's a character who needs a little bit of yeah kind of a weirder director helming things because the original movie is so dry yeah yeah just like the original thor movie huh yeah and then thor too and i don't know anyway we start and end up with marvel michael everything uh, does yep we're we're in the that's where we live we live in the the monoculture we, we have love the... Chris Hemsworth. We love Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> of Thor fame and of, I don't know what else Chris Hemsworth is even in. Is he in anything else? He His is brother in a... is in stuff. He he was in the Ghostbusters reboot. <gasps> Not the current one, but the one, the other one. That's right. He was. Um, yeah. Uh, what a depressing note to end on. Anyway, Christian... It is getting late. We have talked for a while. Any closing thoughts? Hey, watch movies. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Thank you for talking about movies with me, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Christian. Good luck, Tucker and Carly, following this one up. Yeah. Can you do two-hour marathons beginning and ending on Marvel? We'll (laughs) find out. I wouldn't bet my LaCroix on it, though. LaCroix? Whatever. I don't know. My LaCroix? Enjoy your canned coffee, folks.